The opinions expressed on the Joy Has Questions podcast are honest and based on the personal and professional experiences of myself and that of my guests. Therefore, I choose to share my experiences on my platform and it doesn't reflect the viewpoint of any corporation and or business entity. Woo! All righty. Now that we got that out the way, let's get on to the show. Hey everybody, it's your girl Joy Has Questions coming to you with another amazing episode. Starting off with You Better Know. So you already know how much I love Black history on IG and they always deliver. And so they just posted about Barney L. Ford, who was born January 22nd, 1822. He was a Colorado gold miner, hotel magnate, and serial entrepreneur. So a little bit about this man's story. He was born to an enslaved Black woman and a white plantation owner. Now, look, we kind of already know what that probably was about. But he grew up in South Carolina, where he learned to read and write from a fellow slave. Now, this is where it gets interesting. So at the age of 26, Barney's master hired him out to work on a Mississippi River boat. And he legit just like walked off the boat in Quincy, Illinois, and then fled to Chicago. It was then that he met his wife, Julia A. Leone, who was a free Black woman from Indiana in 1849. And together, they basically were running like a livery stable that also served as an underground railroad station until 1860. Now, for those of you who don't know what a livery station is, just truly think of it as a parking garage for horses, because I mean, it makes sense. That was the mode of transportation at the time. So Barney and Julia decide, yo, we're going to go to Colorado. And that's where their lives just start to change in the sense that they opened up a restaurant, a bar and a barbershop. And so Barney, within three months, was able to pay back the $9,000 loan that he had been given. Now, I'm not going to lie. That's the part of the story I want to dig into. Like, who gave this man the loan? Because, yes, he's a biracial black man, but we also know the one drop rule. And looking at him, like, you can tell that he's African-American as well. So because of all of his entrepreneurial efforts, Barney starts to be called the Black Baron of Colorado. And so he's making money from investments in his mines and multiple businesses. And then by the 1870s, he was one of the wealthiest men in Colorado. Like, he is living life. But this is why I love him so much, because he clearly was still for the community and for the people. So he basically refused Colorado statehood on the grounds that Black men couldn't vote. So he was like, nah. If we can't get our papers, neither can y'all. And then on top of it, he even with other fellow Black men in the area helped to establish adult education classes for Black people in terms of reading, writing, math, and working within the government. And he was one of the first to help with like pushing for the right to vote within like Colorado and within the whole country. Then on top of it, he became the first Black man in the state to serve on a U.S. grand jury. So I mean. He's over here just giving Robert Smalls a run for his money. And y'all know how much I love Robert Smalls gangster ass. That being said, I just wanted to highlight the amazing achievements of this black man. And now let's get on to the rest of the show. Hey, everybody. So, you know, if there is one building on planet Earth that I go up for, it is the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, a.k.a. the Black Smithsonian. So I didn't need another reason to love this building, but now they done messed around and made the entire thing digital. So when I'm telling you 
I am running through this website right now like Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek. It is not a game, people. They have activity booklets for the babies with affirmations, an entire race web portal for those hard but necessary conversations, and the exhibits are digital as well. So if you want to just take a little deep download, educate yourself, have a good time learning amazing Black history facts, this is the time to do it. Tell them Joy has questions sent you. And now let's get on to the rest of the show. Hey, good people. So I am super, super happy to have this brother on my platform today. This is someone who every time I see him, he is like elevating. OK, like he is doing roles after roles has great energy, great personality, a phenomenal creative talent. I am so, so happy to have Kamal Bolden here. How are you? I'm a much better after that introduction. That intro was, <laughs> that was peak. That was nice. I tried with the good intros. You got to start the interview with like good energy, keep it on a high note so we I can received, go from there. I receive all of that. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, so... Super excited to have you here. I know like it was a matter of like coordinating. We both busy as all get out. Um, but definitely like, let's just go ahead and get started. So looking in terms of like, how did you fall in love with acting? Like who inspired you the most and like made you want to develop like your creative passions? Ah, that's a, you always got to start at the, at, at the top or at the bottom, I guess you could say, you know, start mm -hmm. from the bottom build down. The What'd you say? I said, build the story. Like, yeah, build the story. So um, it's actually uh, very apropos to ask this because the uh, inimitable legend, uh, Sidney Portier, he just passed. And so I, I want to start off by just basically saying that Sidney Portier was a, was a major influence um, for me as not only uh, as an actor, an artist, but as a black man, as a man that happens to be black, I should say. Uh, I read uh, three of his, all three of his autobiographies multiple times and was transformed by them um you know very specific things that we might touch on but man word to, word to sydney portier he definitely uh presented an image that i was able to look up to um and and more than the image it was the type of roles and the characters that he portrayed that um it it, it wasn't even i can't say it was a reflection of myself it gave me something to look look up to and to aspire to so uh, but to give you a short answer to your question, I fell in love with acting in like middle school, I think. I think being a class clown gave me an opportunity to express myself in ways that I, I probably couldn't put in my own words sometimes. So I could put them in jokes and into actions and entertain people. And then when I got to high school, you know, my I grew up in Peoria, Illinois. So uh, basketball is king there. That's how you that's how you make your name is, is in basketball. Uh, football has kind of taken over recently, but basketball was the way coming up when I was 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 a kid. And I thought I was going to play ball when I was in high school and I got cut from the team. I needed to find a way to to uh, be somebody other than academics. And so I got into speech and debate and and I got into musicals. And it, I just realized that telling a story to an audience can really change their day. It can shape their perspectives. It can make them happy. Like I can literally have an effect on someone's mood. And um, that just, it blew me away. I had never, you know, really given much thought to it growing up in Peoria, watching TV my whole life. I, I never thought that that would be a possibility as a career. 
But then when I got to college and I started doing speech and debate, I realized that I can now not only entertain people, but choose stories. I can make a choice about a story, investigate that story, and then investigate that character and have more of an artistic license in that story. And that excites me now. No, that's phenomenal. I, I love how you first started off with the iconic now ancestor, Sidney Poitier. Like, this was somebody, I, one of my favorite pieces of his was truly a raisin in the sun. But that's because you're seeing, like, the struggle of a Black man not respected in society. He has to have, like, this responsibility. But it's just like, it's almost like he's infantilized by society. Like, they aren't respecting him or looking at him as the man he knows he can be. But yeah, he's in a household where he's like, but I'm the man of the house. Like, so seeing those two, those two things like just oppose against themselves, like in the way he brought that to life was to be quite honest, a lot of black men's story in that generation. And even since then, you know, so that's one thing I always loved about just the realness that he was able to convey. Um, but I think even something else that you commented on with your own journey that I thought was amazing is the fact of like still having to channel that energy even when you're not known as like maybe Kamal the athlete, you know, so still finding another way to, to express yourself, which is also, we're going to get into that, which is something like a lot of times you don't see um, black men in a position where they can show that range or that, you know, vulnerability. It's like either he's an athlete or a star, or he's a ladies man. It's like, there's one or the other, but you can't show like a breadth of emotions or feelings. So I think it's dope that you basically is like, look, I may not be the next Shaquille O'Neal or somebody's point guard, but we're going to figure out a way <laughs> to make yeah, it happen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uh, first off, word to, to, to Lorraine Hansberry for writing those words uh, that she was able to bring life to. Um, and you, you used the word, I would you say fantalize? What was that word? Oh, infantilize. So it's a, a, a psychology term, but basically like an adult person who is trapped in a childlike behavior. Oh, so the root word is like infant. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. See, <laughs> learning something. That's why I came on here. I was like, I need to learn something. Now, let me pray that I pronounced it correctly because a whole bunch of people are going to be walking down the street like, see, he infantilized. He just don't even know what he be doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> make sure you know, I said it correctly. <laughs> I got to use it today so I can be committed to memory. So I'm going to use it wrong tonight some, somewhere. I want to, you know. Exactly. But no. Um, but no, so definitely you were bringing up your, your roots in Peoria, you know, which is a different, I should say, experience from maybe growing up in Chicago. Or maybe you'll tell me otherwise. I just know, like, I look at Peoria like, oh, this cute little sister area. But um, what was that experience like? Did you get a lot of Peoria hate growing up as a kid? Or it's just like, he went from Chicago or like, did you where, like growing up there? Where are you from? I'm from the South Side, low end. I can tell. I, well, this is a podcast, so they won't be able to see your face, right? This is visual too, so it will be. It'll be visual actual... too. Oh man, I ought to, I ought to wash my face today and brush my teeth. But listen, <laughs> listen, the amount of joy you just got, your whole persona changed when you was getting ready to shit on Peoria. I just recognize, okay. oh, seriously, you enjoyed that way, sister city, you come up with terms. What is up with this disrespectful, respectful recklessness you talking about? You know what, I think sometimes it's just innate, especially like when you a Southside girl and from the low end, it's like you gotta talk a little shit as well as give a compliment. <laughs> so it's just one of those like, I'm I confused. see somebody finally found a barber. I see what you're doing. It's just like, just tell me I look nice. Like, just say, 
just say that. <laughs> Y'all invented that. Sisters invented that. I see you got your little new car. All right. Little I car. Somebody got a little, uh, a little car wash shining. Like, just say you like the six series. That's all you have to say, Queen. No. <laughs> I'm not even gonna honor that and try to validate my city uh, because it's it, it's not validated in its proximity to your city. You know what I mean? Oh. And, and while I'm on it. You can throw that whole city in the trash for all I care. Throw that thing in the in the in the lake. Okay? Wait, what city? What did you say? Did you know what city I'm talking about? No, I didn't hear you. For what real. City? You can throw your whole city in the lake. Chicago? Chicago. Yes. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining. I know this has been a, a shorter episode than we expected, but as a community. We've got to be unified. And sometimes that just doesn't, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, I will code switch in a second for this shit. Like, how dare you? <laughs> when you switch that into that professional disaster relief voice on Public Access Network was amazing. C-SPAN, Crisis Media. <laughs> Listen, your y- y- city, artistically, I-, I spent six years there. Um, uh, the matriculation from Nashville to Chicago is like the foundation for like my career now. I mean, I could go all the way back in high school and college and speech and debate and all of that, but truly those years of doing theater as well as television and commercials and industrials and, and, and taking classes and Shakespeare and all of that stuff in Chicago is invaluable to my career. Cool. But I can separate what I got from the career in your garbage city, okay? You're not, like, I cannot. Your feet touch Illinois ground, and this is how you are speaking about us. I cannot. Your city is three things, and it should not be all three. It should not be that racist, that expensive, and that cold. You can't be all three of them things and be a city. And somehow Chicago accomplished it. Well, first of all, Chicago, as much I always say this, Chicago is the only thing that keeps me in the country because I'm like, if there's any racist place that I'm going to endure within these 50 racist places, <laughs> I'll at least choose Chicago. But I mean, I could make a podcast myself a whole different subject just on the levels of corruption and, and disparity and issues that run the underbelly. Like City Hall. Might as well, Cersei might as well just do what she did to the sub to, to City Hall. Like it's it's that deep. Like we just gotta start from scratch. But all jokes aside, I think the thing is, um, I'm a third generation Bronzeville resident. Um, I I recently moved to Chicago, or rather to Baltimore. But the thing is, like having that foundation of my dad and my uncle and my like literally pointing to like. That's where Red Fox got his hair cut or at the forum. Oh, my God. When Nat King Cole came back, we stayed out for hours or knowing that my dad stood in line to see Emmett Till's body. So like every time I walk past Robert's Temple, it's just that thought process of like he was four blocks away and could smell like just things that are very visceral, the good and the bad. So I, like all jokes aside, like Chicago is the biggest hypocrite in the world, but she's my hypocrite. It's just one of those things of like, I I understand why people look at the city and just be like, what the hell is going on? But when you look at truly like the beauty of the community, when you bent those blocks, I think it's like you understand, like even for all it's crazy, there are so many amazing people 
and community members that are just like pushing the culture forward and especially that of the South side, because the South side of Chicago, it's not even in my humble opinion, it makes the city like, mm. you know, there's there and think about it from this. Everyone makes, can say what they want about Chicago name a piece of literature or something that doesn't have some sort of connection here. You just spoke of it in terms of your own artistic journey, but whether you're Studs Terkel, whether you are the ludicrous who, yeah, he, yeah, he ATL, but yeah, you were born here. Young doll, same thing. Like hell, even Betty White was from Oak Park. Like there's just something about this area that connects a lot of people. And now my spiel is over. You you did a good job. I'll give you that. that Thank uh, you. Yay to Chicago. You still racist, cold, and expensive, but yay to Chicago. I mean, this is a country where the FBI will say happy Martin Luther King Day. Like, they ain't track him and help kill him. I'm like, make that make sense. So, here we are, though. <laughs> um, What was the question? I don't even know what the question is. No, move past location questions because it's not going to end well for us. No, no, no. You, you're not going to take 16 minutes to talk about your city and I can't talk about mine now. See, that's a Chicago thing to do. Okay, okay, cool. So, no, but in terms of, of growing up in Peoria, like, especially as, like, a young Black man, um, how did how did your family get out there? I, I heard you mention, I believe you said Nashville. So, it, like, seriously, just understanding, like, what was that upbringing like? Is it more of a rural experience? How did it help shape you? Yeah, my pawpaw moved on up from Mississippi and he's a shucking corn and picking cottons outside Peoria. No, listen, my mom, you know, I used to always joke that my mom and, and, and my aunts and anybody that, that, that was black that ended up in Peoria just got tired when they came from the South. They was like, damn, two yeah, more hours of They're like, we just gonna stop right here. Like, we're gonna stop in Peoria, man, damn it. Um, I'm thankful for growing up in Peoria, but it, it, it um, I used to grow up obviously jealous of WGCI and the radio and all that stuff. But uh, I would say one thing that Peoria definitely afforded me was like we, I'll say this to the day I die, it's like we're a city of haters. And I say that with pride. There used to be a, there used to be a phrase, will it play in Peoria? Back in the 1920s, during the vaudeville days, during the prohibition and all of that, uh, things, traveling shows would come through Peoria before they went to Chicago, before they went to Broadway, any type of thing. It was like, will it play in Peoria? Um, and, and it was because it was supposedly one of the most American cities. But I tend to think it's because we haters. We some haters. Like, you you think Chicago gives you a hard time? No, 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 no. Peoria will give you a hard time. You cannot please us, you know? And so growing up, we were actually a test uh city like they would send reg irregular products things that they would just be like well anybody eat this cupcake with a bite out of it or this crystal clear green pepsi or something they would send it to us and we'd be like that's trash and they'd be like okay we'll we'll try so i think what that afforded me as an artist was um it, it, there's there's good and bad in that and in one way i think it kind of crippled me in terms of taking chances and like pursuing failures what i call it but on the other end, it, it 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 definitely gave me a barometer for what's garbage. Like if something's garbage, I'm not a part of it. Like I'm not doing it if it, if it's not going to be up to a high level because of where I grew up at. Like you will get roasted, you get flamed, and so 
Growing up, it was all, it, it, there was no artistic community like there is in Chicago, but I, I was lucky to have uh, my drama teachers in, 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 in high school that kind of embraced me. And, and nah, theater was not something that was very acceptable in, in my circles, you know what I mean? Um, it was always, always assumed to be feminine, uh, effeminate, um, homosexual, whatever you want to call it at the time, back, back in the, the early 2000s. So. It was it was it was a struggle, but then again, um, I realized just like black men, I became a commodity as a uh, a straight black male in the in the theater community, and so there was like this other like kind of a privilege that I enjoyed in in Chicago in terms of uh, less competition than my than my sisters had, you know what I mean, and so. I can go on and on about that, but there was was a gift and a curse being a black man in theater. Okay, no, that makes total sense. And shout out, number one, to your parents. They were just like, look, so we're going to be here because I I like the joke. That was a good one. But I think outside of that, it's it's a sense of of bravery, I think, also when you step into theater because it's just a sense of you're doing two things, exposing yourself as well as concealing yourself simultaneously. Because it's like you're, I've always looked at it as like you're putting pieces of yourself or you're infusing pieces of yourself into your character. But then at the same time, you become or you should embody somebody else. Um, So I think like to even start that journey at such a young age, like that's a huge undertaking. So shout out to, you know, the support system around you or just for you having that sort of sense of self that you were like, come hell or high water. Y'all could think like, oh, come on, he in theater, he must be gay. Like whatever those stereotypes or tropes were that you still persevered through it. Um, which leads me to the next thing, because look, it's, it's paying off, you're doing well. You're showing up in, in a lot of different productions, doing phenomenal work. So in terms of like, you know, shifting and being a working actor, you know, we see the stereotype is like, is this six of y'all in an apartment? Like, how are you surviving? Like, how, how has that journey been? You even said something earlier. Um, in regards to failures, you know, and, and taking kind of like that leap, um, or maybe not necessarily doing that in the environment you were in. Has that changed since then as you've become like a working actor? Yeah. Yeah. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take a quick moment just, just for, you know, certain people who who will hear this. And obviously I think they might just hear sound bites or whoever, but uh, you know, we do have to acknowledge the, the time difference, you know, very quickly. And that, you know, growing up, that was a negative thing to be seen as effeminate. And we've, I hope as a society, we're growing past that. That's also a a negative thing to be seen as uh, queer, you know. Um, And so I would say that theater also afforded me an education in terms of of not only acceptance, but uh, understanding. You know, because it's not even my job. Like, who am I to be privileged to accept somebody of a different lifestyle? But just an understanding in theater, I think I was given that I wouldn't have been given when I was working in corporate America because I went to school for business. And so I worked in corporate America for three years before I even got into acting after college. And I would have never been afforded that understanding of, of other human beings uh, that, that theater gave me. So I just want to put that out there. But um in terms of the failures and in, 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 in what, you know, what's happening now in the career, um, it's interesting when people ask me about failures, I would say that I haven't had a lot of failures and I, and, and I'm sad about that. I've had more disappointments. I've had 
so many disappointments, but the beginning of my career, I think, was crippled and plagued by a lack of a pursuit of failures. Um, I think people get into this career for a multitude of reasons. And by the time they're in it and by the time they're towards the end of it, those reasons and those motivations have changed because it, it will do that for you. It, that's the beautiful thing that it does give to you. But I, I think at the beginning of my career, I was afraid to take chances. I was afraid to fail. I was doing things very safely. I was allowing other people to kind of shape, you know, the artistry or I didn't even know I could fully express my own artistry. And I think in the last four or five years, I finally started to pursue failures uh, because when you're pursuing the failure, you're stretching yourself. You're going beyond your comfort zone. And it's a, it, you can easily get in your comfort zone and be very successful in this business. You can be very comfortable and successful in this business. But at the end of the day, I don't think you'd be fulfilled. I wouldn't be fulfilled if I wasn't pursuing my failures now. Now, disappointments, that's a whole other story. I've been disappointed <laughs> from day one. And I think it's because, you know, actors in the craft or actors in the industry, I should say, actors and the industry have two different love languages. There's a difference. There's a difference. And I think the love language that actors speak for the industry, like how we show love, the industry shows love in a different language. So to stay on that same motif, like I think for us actors, we want, we want gifts. We want acts of service, you know? We, we want the roles and we want the work and we want you to, you know, to give us work. Um, we want that quality time. And, but the industry is like, nah, I'm not, I don't, I don't see you that way. I don't, I'm not messing with you like that. You're not, you're not that bad. You're not a baddie. You're not fine. You, and, 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 and you know, now that I think about it, it's kind of similar to a relationship in the fact that like, the industry sees us the same way like we kind of operate and see people in relationships or pursuit of relationship. You might, as you fix your hair and quaff your shit and everything. Okay, okay. Ha ha, ha ha. Let's, I'm getting cut. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, social media now, you know, you might look at a person and say, you know, and I'm just, I, this ain't me, but you know, somebody might be like, ah, she a six, you know what I mean? She ain't really got that many followers. She not that bad or whatever. So I'm gonna treat her that way. I'm not gonna give her acts of service. So I'm not gonna give him this, that, cause he's not that bad. And the industry is the same way. You don't have this many followers. You don't have your angles correct. You are not popular. So I'm not gonna give you gifts. Your, my love language to you is, touch or whatever like it ain't gonna be what you want it to be do this voiceover work if we care but that's about it <laughs> you'll you'll never be on this on this small screen it, it, <laughs> it, it, that. right it, and, and that could be lucrative too but it's definitely one of those things where you know but just like a relationship we have to continuously over time teach the industry how to love us back like we're showing the industry so much love we're giving it the acts of service we're giving it the gifts we're giving it our gift we're spending so much quality time with it. You know, we're giving it so many words of affirmation. It never and, gives it back to us. And crafting, this is like a time where I'm seeing so many amazingly different, you know, like just crafted stories coming out of black and brown artists, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, like just coming up with really unique perspectives and showing, yes, that we're not a monolith. So to me, it's just something where, 
as as I have humbly looked at it, because I'm not even with me doing what I do, like I'm not an actor, right? But when I look at it from the outside looking in, I'm just kind of like validate yourself too, because when you you are going to have to make that decision also just in the sense of like, as much as these doors are opening, you're still working within the construct of something that's been established since that sign got slapped into the mountaintop. So it's just like, and they aren't changing. They'll, they'll kind of move based on what a society viewpoint say. You know, I think an excellent example of the way I always take it is like Victoria's Secret went from being like the pinnacle of the beauty standard, fashion standard, and now they are like the bottom of the barrel, right? And when you look, everyone was was literally starving themselves to be an angel. And now you see them trying to do like size, you know, or body positivity or, or size inclusiveness. And it's like, girl, we ain't forgot how y'all only had a bunch of double zeros coming down that runway, like, or how you would, you know, the stories of how you all would even vet these girls and the pressure that you put on them. And so I think it's kind of like, it's almost like a, a slight parallel of looking at just that part of the industry too. It's like, validate yourself and what is going to be beautiful. What's the story that you want to tell? And also not getting caught up in the metrics of it because you hit the nail on the head. People now will completely just start off even whether it's management, um, representation, whatever. And they'll be like, oh, well, what's their following? Are they popular? Is this enough juice for the squeeze? And it's like, but you could be sitting on a diamond in the rough that with you working with them can help develop that. But you can't see past the, are they popping enough? So Laziness. It's, it's industry laziness. Nobody really, I would say nobody wants, I was going to say that nobody wants to incubate that talent, but I don't think some people have the talent to incubate talent anymore. And so department, what art is really, what, what development? I don't think that they know how to develop it. Uh, you know, I'm saying there's less people who, who, who know how to, how to develop it. And the market market is saturated with these button clickers and people who could just go off these metrics. And now, you know, obviously anything in our society that, that recognizes its power for the most part, when it comes to like commercial and, and commerce or whatever you want to call it, it's going to get skewed. None of it's going to be pure after a while, you know, but people are always looking for an easy way out. Is that a fly? That it took you out your holes, right? <laughs> it is like one degree outside and I'm, I'm a little impressed with my man. It's like, did he thaw out? Just right now he him. just thaw? He, he on that, that next evolutionary wave. Just let him, just let you know, him. He's big too. Prehistoric fly. Anyway. Um, yeah. That, yeah, uh, that makes total sense. Um, so, okay. So building upon that and now just going a little bit in terms of like you and your process, you said something earlier, research. I'm like, yes, finally. And after that is discussing the research aspect of the role, because it's more than just like rushing to get, you know, off book when it comes to the research that goes into like the roles, like how do you prepare, um, <laughs> And I'll even use this in a, as an example, like that scene in The Resident, I was like, holy shit. Like it was, it was, I thought you were married and just had had a newborn. Like, and that's like, it literally, I was like, my God, did this happen to you? Like, what the hell? Like, that to me is when you embody it, that is the heart of acting or, or really getting people to believe you. How do you prepare for, for something that is, you know, very visceral. It's not like a, a happy ending type situation. And then how do you like balance those emotions and then go back into like Kamal the person? 
That's oh, a great question. And and I've always um, I've thought about this. I was like, if I ever get asked this, how do I answer? Because I'm always thinking that people aren't really interested in the actor's process. We just want to see the result. And I don't know, but you've asked it now. So it's a great question. Um, preparing for like specifically the, the role with the resident, I think I didn't do I didn't step into it any differently than I had done with some of my roles previously in that around that time period that that happened i think that was like 2019 i think i did that and uh so my process was pretty uh refined at that point in terms of the amount of research i have to do uh in terms of the character development like i have i have literally documents worksheets that i go through and i'm answering questions like the age and the disposition the strengths the weaknesses is uh weaknesses is um you know, all those different things, you know, siblings, you know, because all of these these different factors obviously um, affect a, a, a person's personality and how they're going to react to situations, you know. So that's what actor, that's the fun thing, the investigation of the character. And there are no right or wrong answers. So that's even makes it more fun. I'm creating this on my own. The director does not give me any direction in this. It's all the research and things I do on my own, right? That particular role, I, I, enjoyed an advantage by showing up to set and the first person i saw was malcolm jamal warner who was an icon a television icon and a very respected brother and i could tell from how he approached me his tone of voice and what he said about that particular episode showed me this episode meant more to him than any other episode up to that point in terms of the resident, it meant a lot to him. And I said, "Whoa, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, the weight fell upon me in a good way. Like, cause I already knew I was prepared, but I'm like, you care about this too. So it just, it just gives me the confidence to say, this means something, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, because it was about black women's um, maternal mortality, I, I was able to tap into my own experiences. I have two nieces and a nephew. I was in the hospital for all three of those births. Two of my sisters had those, those three kids. And each time, being in Peoria, Illinois, which is at the time probably 18, 17% black, um, not a very affluent city now that Caterpillar abandoned us for Chicago. Yeah, not mad about that. But anyway, being in those, in those specific situations uh, and, and, and seeing cultural bias against my sisters like you know i remember my older sister they wanted to give her a second epidural and my mother was like what no and they were pushing a she's in so much pain and you know this will just do and they, there's other ways to uh, one epidural is enough a second one as i get on my phone and i literally because everything is on google right. two epidurals side effects article upon article you know and so it's like you didn't even you know i could tell the nurse didn't even the doctor's not even they don't care they just want to just throw some stuff out there it's a black woman whatever she's probably just she have a ring on her finger she even married like i can see the judgment in everything in those births you know to, to not checking in regularly it was a lot of frustration as an older brother 
You know what I mean? And when you ask questions, you know, and I'm, they see me on my phone, they have a disdain for me because I'm researching what they're saying. You know, uh, it's just like, wow, I was able to tap into those frustrations to, to portray what Charles Johnson IV was going through with his wife, the late Kira, you know, um, and I actually got to talk to him beforehand. So his, his, his story, his voice, everything just really gave me all I needed to when I got so when I got on set with Vanessa Antoine, who played my wife, who's a phenomenal actress, I was like, I'm full. Like I'm just very full. And then the the, the icing on the cake that took me there after all the research was receiving a, a black woman coming in onto set and having her her infant with her. And I just remember feeling so because of the, the, the subject matter of it, I remember having so much uh, of a sense of like I needed to protect these two people, these two humans with everything. Everybody on set was very respectful. But even if somebody like there was a crew guy that got close, like he wasn't looking, I was like, yo, yo, whoa, whoa, there's a, a baby here. There's a baby here, bro. Like, watch where you're going. You know what I mean? Like, we have a valuable life here. I just, I just. Yeah, it, it, it really put me into the sense of, of, of what it felt like to be Charles at the moment. And so um, I was just blessed to have that opportunity. And it's one of my favorite uh, jobs I've ever done. I was, I was going to ask you that. You, I mean, you just answered it in terms of where it lists for you in your heart. But I think the thing, um, you know, me being a single woman, I haven't experienced motherhood yet. But even just the the stories that I've heard from my girlfriends, like literally this week, a good girlfriend of mine just gave birth and we've always been more so holistic. So she was like, I went to a birthing center. And so like just listening to her and like the process of what she was talking about, um, the research that she had done. And just, it is sad that across the board, no matter, like I've, I've had to advocate for myself so many times and like figure out the trick language you need to use to put a medical professional on notice to get them to do what you need them to do. Um, but even watching that story, like just something that is supposed to be the most joyous moment in your life, like you and the person that you love more than anyone else are bringing uh, like your legacy, uh, uh, an example of your love and to have that ripped from you, that experience and now to be sent crashing to the pits of hell because of, of other people not treating that person with that sanctity and that respect. Um, it's scary. It happens way too many times, but I think the way that you demonstrated the whole cast like, I remember the the part of the scene that really gets me is when you're falling and the fact that like Malcolm Jamal Warner and, and everyone else is trying to hold you up and the, the young actress that plays the nurse or the red, I don't remember what her role specifically was, but she's crying off to the side like that. I don't know what that probably felt like when you all, when the director said cut after something like that. Um but I think it was beautifully acted and just show like not only that, like your range, because we've also seen you in funny things, too. Or it's like he a fool and a half. But to see to see, <laughs> but to see both, I think that is something that was so, so needed to show what that looks like when you just don't respect or pay attention to someone because you can't see me past my melanin. Mm, mm. So. Yeah, it's it was a beautiful thing, and and like you said, when the director said cut, um, it it definitely wasn't an immediate like snap out of it. None of us could snap out of it. We have a job to do, so we have to prepare for the next take. 
but it, it definitely stayed with us from take to take. And um, yeah, there, there's there's a process I have to go through now to decompress because, you know, hey. I hold that that energy and that trauma in the body for days to come. You know, it's not, and now I'm trying to find ways to, to deal with it in a healthy way, you know, so. That makes me so happy to hear because, and we hear the stories that, oh, this is what happened to Heath Ledger. This is what happened to Michael K. Williams, or, you know, when you're a method actor. And it's, I've always kind of been confused by that saying this since I'm like, isn't a true artist, aren't all actors then? a method actor, but I'm like, not my world, not going to get into the, the, the language. Um, but I think that's great that you have, you know, whatever those personal things are that like help you recenter yourself. Um, okay. So we're going to make it get a little bit lighter outside of centering yourself. Like, let's be real. Like I know for me, right. I got a couple of wars under my belt and it has not changed me. It has not changed me in terms of like, you know, how I feel about other people. I've never been a condescending person, right? But there are moments where I be in the house like, ha <laughs> ha, see you mama. Like, you know, yeah. so how do you, how do you like balance that energy or who around you is like, boy, if you don't sit down somewhere and go rake these leaves out my yard, like how, who is it that like helps you stay grounded when you, when you come off a roll? They it's like, yeah, we saw you with Lil Rel. Okay, fine. You was over here with Jay Ellis kicking it. That's cute. We don't care. Like, what what helps ground you? <laughs> oh man, you know, I don't know. About <laughs> I, when you said that, you walk around and you're like, <laughs> it just reminds me of like Issa in the mirror with, oh. with Issa all the time. So I wonder what the other Joy says to to the Joy that's that's gloating, you know, when she's in that mirror. Um, I'd be interested to see that. But uh, I don't I don't I don't know if I have. No, actually, I do have people like that. I think, you know, a, a complicated answer to this would be the fact that for the, the, the majority of my career, I've kind of like not allowed people to celebrate like the celebrate my accomplishments. I downplayed them a lot and I was always trying to get to the next level. And uh, it hit me that some of that, you know, was the fact, I never forget my, my, my aunt, who uh, is a major supporter. Everybody in my family supported me from day one. They, when I had my first professional equity actor play in Nashville, Tennessee, playing Jackie Robinson, they all drove down to Nashville, Tennessee. Everybody saw it. They've supported me from day one. But um, I always knew I had a high bar. I used to want to be the greatest actor ever. I was going to be better than Denzel, right? That's what you do when you're young. You think Academy Awards, you get into all of these different things that you don't know are never going to matter later on in your life because they will not bring you happiness, right? So what's crazy is this, uh, I remember like I was in Brooklyn doing a play and my aunt and everybody flew out to Brooklyn to see me in this play. We're sitting there. And my aunt, after seeing this, what I thought was like a play, I truly dared to fail. I pursued failure. It was a play about, you know, race and and sexual molestation and 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 art and reparations. It was it was a hell of a play. It was a lot of stuff in this play. And I was like, I've grown. My family is going to come to this play and be like, you know what? You ain't no little boy no more. You you was up there grown man in that play. And they ain't talking nothing about the play. And my aunt was like, <laughs> my aunt was like, one day you gon' you gon' you gonna make it. You gonna be on Tyler Perry. You gon' 
you're going to get in the movies. And I remember being disappointed. I was hurt. Like, man, what she mean? I'm a, one day I'm going to make it. Like, I just did a play off Broadway. I, growing up, didn't teach them that, hey, it's not about the next stepping stone. I couldn't teach them that because it was like that for me. I wanted to make them proud by being on some big movie screen. But really what I found was like, no, it's about these challenging roles and the more challenging they get and me meeting the challenge. And when they didn't see that or or at least they didn't express that to me, they might have seen it, but they didn't know to express that to me. That it mattered to you. It mattered to me that and I was hurt. So now I'm like, oh, you know. I'm grounded because I'm just looking for the next challenge. And each time I'm on any set, I don't care what type of you know particular production it is, whether it's play or a commercial or something, I am trying to reach new levels of authenticity and truth and rise to the challenge, like stretch myself. So that's what keeps me grounded. Like people around me don't really make a big deal about certain stuff and that's cool. But also I just know I have so much further to go as an artist. So right. I, I don't really, I don't do the, the joy. Ha ha. I'm in, you know, I don't. <laughs> I know you probably hit it with a, a Will Smith, a little kick step. Everybody like, don't, don't hit me with the, you know, I'm just a hundred percent. I'm just, I'm ready for the next. Like that's nice. And I understand yeah. that, but I know you had your moments like, um, they're few and far between you know the humility is always there because you know I, it, it's, it's about the work and I know a lot of actors say that but I, I know we all truly mean it now once you get you know I'm in my 30s and I've been doing this thing for 13 14 years I truly recognize now it's about the work it ain't about like for instance recently I, I posted on social media about what happened uh, with, with the season finale of Insecure and, you know, I, this is a great example of that. I, I did a quick little guest star in two episodes in the first season. And then they called me up and they were like, we want you to be in the season finale, the series finale. And I was like, oh, my God, the series finale of an iconic wow. groundbreaking show. Yeah. That is amazing. And I did this hilarious scene with, you know, Jay Ellis and Neil Brown Jr. to hear more and everybody. And. Uh, seven months, I kept it a secret. I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm in it. I can't wait till it pop up and everybody see me in this scene. Ah, it's going to be crazy. Ah! And that is what you're talking about. That is that whole thing like, yeah, boy, yeah, boy, yeah, boy. Check me out, boy. <laughs> and then it got cut. And he was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I was, I was waiting I'm sitting here waiting, though, to respond to the responses of people telling me how cold this was. <laughs> right. Phone, phone dry. Phone, phone, burnt toast, dry. I'm like, wow. But I posted about it because, you know, after about a day and a half of, like, dejection, I was like, oh, no, it's, it's really is about the work. Like, I truly had a phenomenal experience. I dared to fail. I had a fun time and that that existed. That can't be taken away. It's not about all the time, like the optics or the, the, the fame or whatever. It's like, I truly had to work, you know? And they did call me back and it was, it was, it was a, it was a pleasure to be thought of. So. I think that, and let's be honest, like, look, there's only so many minutes, especially for a finale that you got to like craft a story and pack it. Look, I am trying to get <laughs> They could have made it an hour. <laughs> they could have made it an hour. They, she was a 
we're going to do that from season one. She literally was like, stop asking. It's never going to happen. <laughs> okay, now that next production, she goes see that snake face and be like, we're not calling him. <laughs> but no, um, I, I think like even still, like the fact that you show it, whether it's going to be something that that is used or leveraged or not, that A shows that you're dedicated to the craft and not to the clout. Because anyone else would have been like, okay, I'm going to just tell two people. The fact that you also kept it to yourself. And let's be real. This is an industry that is built on relationships and character and loose lips sink ships, namely your paycheck. So it's just like, mm. keep it to yourself. And even if it doesn't come to fruition in the time that you want, one of my biggest lessons, I say this all the time, like, you can be asking God to like answer your prayers. Like, why isn't he answering it? And sometimes the answer is no. Like sometimes that was his answer. You just refuse to hear it because you want to get what you want out of it. And don't realize like whenever you've been told, at least in my experience, whenever I've been told, no, I got something way greater or mm-hmm. even something more that I thought that I hadn't even dreamed of, you know, or haven't even thought about. So sometimes, yeah, no can be the answer, but it still isn't something where it's going to be a, a, a L. It's just a lesson mm-hmm. and take it as such. Take your time. Take your time. Let the church say amen. Okay. So let them use you. Let them use you. <laughs> but when it comes to like projects that you're working on, can't wait to see you um, in, in your new NBC role. Like, yeah. The funny thing was, I kid you not, I was a part of the um the premiere team for Chicago Fire for season one. So like that was at the Chicago Historical Society. I remember like the the fire chief was that the city came out and i remember like meeting dick wolf and just being like this man's so rich like this is a different type of velvet like it is <laughs> middle of july or no it was october it was a little brisk outside but he just walked in with like it was it was almost like a cashmere velvet blend i'm like what animal is this like but he was just so nice fly like he was a pimp or something i ain't never seen dick wolf in real life does he look like a pimp no, he he walks in like wealth, but he's very nice. Oh, There's no really other expensive. way. To, okay, it, it's luck. Since what? And it, the funny thing is, I always look at wealth as like when it's muted tones, but it feels like a, so. Like Heather Gray, you know, shouldn't feel that luxurious at times. I'm just like, how did he accomplish this? <laughs> like, like is this slate? Like, what is this? But yeah, so. Wow. Um, so seeing him like just continue on with with those ro- or like with NBC just continuing with like stellar shows and now you have this one that's coming up as well. Um, what are the aspirations and the goals? Because I'm like you talk about well, no one really knows me now. I'm like enjoy that, have fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, um, I don't I don't have any specific specific aspirations for the show other than I want it to be wildly successful because it's very light. Um, and, and the goal is to continue to grow every time I get on the set, uh, because this is all a part of the journey. You know, this isn't going to be my last television show. It's not going to be my last opportunity to do what God has gifted me to be able to do. So I, I just no longer get on there and start be, and start thinking about what I'm going to do after this. I'm like, I mean, I am writing right now because I'm going to make, make my directorial debut this summer with a short film. But. Thank you. But in terms of the acting part about it, like I'm just enjoying soaking up being a series regular for the first time. Um, it's a different it's a different amount of confidence you get knowing that your job is is somewhat secure. I say somewhat. Uh, anything can happen. 
But, you know, I don't go to that table read with any trepidation like I used to. When you're a guest star, you know you can get fired. Yeah, you can get it. <laughs> you can get the can. You can you can get the pitch. Right. You read you know, the script like a car crash. Really? I've been here for two weeks. So like <laughs> It's, it's, it's crazy. So um, I'm just really soaking in that. I'm soaking in the amount of trust that comes from my producers and directors being a series regular. Uh, I don't take that for granted. You know, when I come on set, they trust that I've done the work. They trust that my choices are bold and that they are competent and I, they're not questioning everything I do. But I also welcome them to challenge me. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm a series regular now. This is great, but I want to make it the best possible seeing that it can be and uh in terms of like that you know what might come from it in terms of visibility and all of that like i'm not gonna switch nothing up um i know you gotta level up like i know in terms of like instagram and facebook and interviews and all that i'll do the press for it um but i love connecting with real people like yourself you know um and and keep that going but you know yeah Listen, I am in the gym now, you know, you can't tell up under this shirt, but I'm getting there. You know what I'm saying? I'm putting down the, the fruit snacks and the, and the bacon and I'm trying to get, you know, I do want to do some other things in my career. Right. But, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be doing gym selfies and, and 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 videos, workout shirtless. You can do a gym workout video. You do gym workout videos. You know, you're showing people your progress. Listen, no, I ain't, I ain't gonna judge nobody. It's just not for me. If I do it, if I do it, no, it took me a lot to do it, you know, but more than likely, uh, I'll just put it this way. Let, let your work speak for yourself. If you get called up into the next Baywatch that they're making, that was artistic expression and not you just trying to be, you know, all dripped down on the screen. So, no yeah. worries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit, hit everyone with this answer. Well, you know, I let the role speak for itself. So everything that I, I needed to say, I think I said it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the thing with social media comes with, you know, uh, all type of people. So you, you'll never see, one thing you won't see me do is clap back. I will not waste my time on a clap back. I don't care who types what underneath my whatever because I've, I've been around enough people in the industry to have seen it firsthand from what they've gone through people that i've worked with that are famous and stuff like that and you know they can let that stuff really get to them and so i'm like okay cool i'm gonna learn from you you've been there me listen if it ain't positive i don't hear it it ain't you know. i'm at the point now like baby yes two plus two equals five it sure does and get the hell from around me <laughs> like hey i'm not i just I don't know if that's the maturity of me, like where I am in my life or just like the, the battles and things that I don't feel that I have to fight, but I can definitely agree with that. I will say social media. Now everyone recognizes that you can monetize it, that it is a, a, a viable career choice on top of it. Like it is a part of overall branding. So I know people in corporate America, like I'm in corporate America still, like just because I work for a social media company doesn't mean like this is not a corporation, you know? Right. So um, understanding like eyes are always on you and it is what it is for better or for worse. It can lead to opportunities. It can lead to scrutiny. And so, yes, still being your authentic self. Um, but also just having that, that intuitiveness, or rather I should say that foresight, you know, like this might be three seconds and me really getting this, this tweet off and that's going to come with 20 days of me explaining why I got this tweet off and I just don't have it. So I get you. Yeah. And now, 
This has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much. Everybody, please go support this brother. Like there's very few people in the industry that I'm just like, I'm not dealing with ego. I'm not. But so to meet someone that is so grounded, so chill, um, to be so talented. Look, I got here first. So now it's like he doing things for the Oscars and everything. We're like, but you remember this reel in 2022. No, I'm kidding. But wishing you all the success in the world. Um, definitely cannot wait to see what you do next. And we will catch you on the next episode of Joy Has Questions. Everybody, so for today's motivational message, I really just want us to focus on finding joy in the world. And I know that is so extremely hard to do right now. It seems like every day, every hour for that matter, we're just being bombarded with like really stressful, crazy news. You got people dying all the time. It's always something going on with the government. It's always something going on with, you know, the discrimination that we see against so many marginalized groups. We have to keep defending our blackness. We have to keep defending our autonomy. It's just literally giving all my life I had to fight. And so with all of that, it can be overwhelming. It can be stressful. You can really just kind of get to a, a breaking point. And I just want to remind us that even through all of that, there is still a lot of beauty and peace and happiness and love to be found within this craziness. Every time I step outside and I simply go for a walk and I look at the sky, or if I see the changing seasons, or if I just completely envelop myself in nature, or if I get a call from a loved one, I am reminded of the beauty of this world. And that's something that I just want to put out there. We all of the ways, you know, are going to have kind of like these mix of emotions. We're always going to be, you know, kind of balancing those scales. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That is just literally human emotion. But I want us to remember that when times get hard, there's also the other side of that, which is the beauty to find in the lesson and the other side of that struggle. So hopefully everyone can take that with the love in which I am saying it. I want everyone to have a beautiful, amazing week, unless you are for misogyny, homophobia, xenophobia, any phobia that, you know, is just based on your BS, then I want you to have the week you deserve. I'm just going to keep it real. But for the rest of us that are trying to make a difference and walk in the light, I want us to have a phenomenal ass week. Okay, bye. Always black.